I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT Proper regulation at last for letting agents, the drastic sell-off in the gold price, and how to navigate the annuity conundrum. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues, Tanya Poli. Hello. Joe Cumbo. Hello. Plus our two special studio guests, Adrian Ash of Bullion Vault. Hello. And Billy Burrows of Better Retirement. Hello. First of all, some news from Westminster that wasn't about Lady Thatcher. Parliament has voted to step up regulation of letting agents. For many years, landlords and tenants alike have complained about rogue letting agents not doing their jobs properly and running off with either the tenant's money or the landlord's. As more and more Britons rent their homes instead of buying them, the problems have become more acute. We recently revealed that matters relating to letting agents now make up over half the complaints received by the property ombudsman. In one instance, an award of £13,500 was made against an agent who had failed to properly check out a tenant, leaving a landlord heavily out of pocket. Unlike sales agents, letting agents were not required to belong to a redress scheme or a professional body, even though they are far more likely to handle large amounts of cash. About two-fifths of letting agents are currently entirely unregulated. Tanya Poli has been following the debate about regulating letting agents for a long time. Tanya, what has the government now agreed to do? So basically on Monday, um, the government came out just a day before there was due to be a, a vote on an amendment to the Enterprise and Regulatory Reform Bill, saying that they actually, they've listened to what Labour has said, they've listened to industry and consumer groups, and that they are proposing to introduce an amendment themselves, which allows for a system of a redress. So basically this means if a landlord or tenant has a problem, they have someone to go and complain to, which is what a lot of people do about estate agents and the letting agents that have already self-regulated themselves. So obviously, like you said, I mean, there are already several redress schemes in place. The property ombudsman is probably one of the biggest. But letting agents up until now are not actually legally required to be a member of such a scheme. This means that actually um, the ombudsman is um, powerless to do anything if it it receives complaints um, about letting agents that aren't actually a member of their scheme so far. For example, you mentioned that like last year, there were about 80,000 complaints against letting agents. Around 2,000 of those were about letting agents that actually weren't a member of such a scheme. So the ombudsman couldn't do anything about it, couldn't investigate those complaints, which leaves all those landlords and tenants kind of, you know, powerless to actually do anything about their complaint. 
Okay. Now, what's the timescale for the implementation of this? How soon are we going to see all letting agents um, compelled to belong to one redress scheme or another? Well, I spoke to Mark Priest, the Housing Minister, on Tuesday, and he said once this bill is passed, he actually wants to have a consultation period with both industry and consumer groups to kind of discuss the issue that will involve deciding whether there will be one redress scheme that all letting agents have to be a member of or whether there will be several in place, because this also covers... um, residential leasehold managing agents too. After that, I think he's hopeful that it will come into force by autumn. Okay. Now, a redress scheme, membership of a redress scheme, is not quite the same as full regulation, is it? What does it mean in in practical terms? Presumably it means that you can only complain after something has gone wrong. That's um, the common criticism of what's actually um, been proposed. It only really deals with a an issue once you know, once there already has been an issue, it doesn't actually go about doing anything to make um, the letting agents industry more professional, doesn't impose any kind of training requirements, it doesn't give any power to the regulator to actually, like, quickly ban rogue agents. So it does nothing to kind of actually stop letting agents um, doing bad things, really. Okay, so um, if if they run off with our deposits or they don't check out tenants properly, we can complain about them and get redressed, but letting agents can still charge us £200 for a credit check and £100 for an inventory uh, and all that sort of... Pretty uh, much so. I think a lot of people in the industry I've been speaking to this week have said they're going to continue to campaign for full regulation because they don't think this goes far enough. And personally, I don't think this goes far enough either because um, it's actually not really doing anything about the letting agents industry. And, you know, the letting agent industry actually deals with about billions of pounds per year. But compared to the state agency industry, which actually doesn't handle any money, they're the ones that aren't regulated. It doesn't seem quite right to me. Okay, thank you very much, Tanya. You can read more about the proposed regulation of agents in this weekend's FT Money. And there's also a story about rogue solicitors who defraud both home buyers and the revenue of stamp duty, leaving law abiding buyers on the hook for thousands of pounds. FT Money is available as part of your regular weekend FT newspaper, or you can read online at www.ft.com forward slash money. If you want to leave comments, you can do so online at the end of articles or email us your comments. The address is money at ft.com. Still to come on the show, how to pick a path through the annuity minefield. But first, gold. Last Friday, the price of gold plummeted suddenly on very large trading volumes. On Monday, the route continued. Gold is now in a bear market, down more than 20% from its September 2011 peak. And many pundits are now saying its remarkable 12-year rally may be over for good. But gold has some die-hard fans too. Billionaire hedge fund manager John Paulson says he is still committed to his gold positions, which are very substantial. While Bill Gross, who runs the world's biggest bond fund, has said he is also comfortable holding the yellow metal. And there have been suggestions that ordinary investors are keen to buy into this latest dip, especially now that the price of gold in sterling terms is well below £1,000 an ounce. But should you own gold? What is the point of buying something that's never going to pay a dividend and which actually has very few practical or industrial uses? Joining me now is Adrian Ash, Research Director at Bullion Vault, a physical gold and silver exchange for private investors. Adrian, fans of gold typically advocate holding it for three main reasons, that it's a hedge against inflation, a safe haven in times of crisis and a portfolio diversifier. Let's look at each of those claims in turn. When you look at a drop the size of Mondays, can you really claim that gold protects against inflation? Well, I mean, you look at the size of the drop on Friday and Monday, obviously, it's very, very dramatic. Uh, If you take all the gold in the world, probably lost about a trillion dollars in value on Monday alone. 
So, yes, when you look at it and you say, well, I thought gold was supposed to protect against inflation. The thing is, inflation didn't suddenly fall away or rise dramatically on Monday. I mean, this is a market event by, you know, by any measure. So I think if you look at gold across the long term, uh, gold typically holds its value against inflation uh, across the very long term. But for individual private investors, people who are looking after their savings, it's more about, well, where are you right now? Where is inflation? And what are your concerns? People do buy gold when they're concerned about inf- inflation ahead. But the bottom line is we haven't had strong inflation in the cost of living. Obviously, we all appreciate that you know, various things have gone up. But we haven't had headline inflation rising very strongly over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But so in, even in some periods where we have had uh, inflationary spikes, like from 1980 to 2000, uh, the price of gold has has not particularly uh, done anything special. Well, no, I mean, the price of gold came down between 1980 and 2000 by about 75%. But the bottom line was you didn't actually need an inflation hedge during the 1980s and the 1990s. Cash in the bank was paying you 4 and 5% real returns over and above inflation. You don't need an inflation hedge when cash in the bank is doing that for you. And, of course, then you also had, in the 1990s, you had the stock market boom. Again, private investors, wealth managers, they're not going to turn to gold as a way of protecting wealth, particularly when they don't need to because other things are performing well. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, you know, there's an element of that that we've seen over the last few weeks as well. Obviously, you know, the stock market has been hitting all-time highs in the States. So the urgency for buying gold and for owning it has gone to the bag. When might it come to the fore again? Because you know, we've seen bank raids in Cyprus and we've seen, you know, we've got a deteriorating situation on the Korean peninsula, um, none of which seems to be uh, reigniting the, the gold price particularly. What what do you think might be the catalyst for some renewed uh, upward movement? Geopolitical events such as you know North Korea and so on, saber rattling there. Uh, the same is true with the Arab Spring. Uh, you know we saw it. You know uh, Russia's invasion of South Ossetia a couple of years ago. The gold price didn't move on those kind of events. Uh, I think there's a certain memory, maybe a collective memory in the market that the the big peak in the 1970s rise uh, came alongside the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. You also had the Iranian hostage crisis. So the bottom line was, however, there were big monetary events going on at the same time. You had massively negative real interest rates on US Treasury bonds. Um, that's what we've had over the last 10 years, increasingly, is you know, sub-zero real returns. And that's really what moves things. Quantitative easing, I think you know, the, the Fed's mutterings in its minutes last week about maybe actually at some point we might stop printing money. I think that was a big part of what, uh, you know, a a big catalyst for the move that we've had. Mm -hmm. And finally, gold is quite a volatile commodity. Do you think it could fall some further um, before rallying or do you think the party is, uh, is, is well and truly over for the time being? I don't dare to make price forecasts, um, especially given that last week I'm on record as saying that I didn't see the price falling substantially where we have, you know, negative real interest rates and zero interest rates globally for a long time to come. I do think that remains supportive. Um, I do think the monetary accommodation that we're seeing from central banks everywhere, I think, you know, the moves by the Bank of Japan, I think, you know, I think here in the UK we're all expecting something pretty dramatic from Mark Carney when he takes over from Mervyn King in June. Um, you know, this is supportive for people being anxious about inflation and wanting to protect against, you know, the kind of events in the, in the money markets that we've seen over the last five years during the crisis. Whether gold is going to go up or down, that, for a lot of people, that isn't actually the primary reason for owning it. Most people do use it as a diversifier. They use it as a go-to-health fund. Um, obviously, a lot of our customers at Bullion Vault, they're all in. They have a very bullish view on gold because they have such a bearish view of pretty much everything else. Um, but for the vast majority of people who are buying gold today, I would say they're actually looking at it as a small part of a much bigger portfolio. Okay, thank you very much, Adrian. You can read more about gold's lost luster or otherwise in this week's Serious Money column. We'd love to hear your views on gold too. 
Do you think it's time to buy? And if so, would you buy exchange-traded products, physical gold or shares in mining companies, which have fallen even further than the bullion price? So do get in touch and tell us, either via ft.com slash money or by emailing us. The address once again, money at ft.com. We finish today by looking at what might be termed the annuity conundrum. How best to convert a pot of accumulated savings into an income for retirement? This is one of the biggest financial decisions most people will make in their lifetimes. And the demise of final salary pension schemes means that more and more of us will be faced with this unenviable choice in years to come. Now is a particularly difficult time for those approaching retirement. Guilt yields, which underpin the rates offered by annuity providers, are close to record low levels thanks to the government's policy of quantitative easing and very low interest rates. At the same time, inflation has been consistently above the Bank of England's target rate and the real rates of inflation for older people are arguably higher still. Buying an annuity is an irreversible decision, so it's very important that retirees make the best possible choice and have access to all the information and advice they need. The good news is that if you have a reasonably large savings pot, you do at least have a bit more flexibility than was previously the case. Joe Cumbo has been looking through the options. Joe, I guess the first option is what we might call delay and pray. How long can you actually hold off buying an annuity once you turn 55 or 65? Um, Well, it used to be the case that um, once you hit 75, you were forced to buy an annuity if you were in drawdown, but the rules were loosened up a few years ago. So there are more options for people that don't have to convert their funds into a secure income or exchange their savings for an annuity. And just to talk about the options which have widened um, for uh, people approaching retirement is Billy Burrows from the Better Retirement Group. I guess the first question to ask, Billy, is annuities, even though they are quite boring, they are still the, the best way to deliver a secure and guaranteed income for individuals who are living longer. Well, well, that's right. The the traditional, the guaranteed annuity does exactly what it says on the tin, pays uh, an income for the rest of someone's life, no matter how long they live. But you're someone who believes that their time might be up for a lot of people. They should be considering other alternatives to annuities. Well, well that's right. I mean, um, most people underestimate how long they're going to live. And, you know, someone um, at 65 may have, you know, 25 years ahead of them. And, you know, we heard um, comments about inflation in the, in the last package. And the, the, the truth is that people retiring now, they don't know how long they're going to live. They could live to be 100 or they could fall under the bus tomorrow. They don't know what's going to happen to inflation, interest rates, um, even the stock market or their own health. So if you invest in a guaranteed annuity, yes, you have certainty of income, but you're still at risk from inflation and you still um, you, you wouldn't benefit, for example, if interest rates went up in the future. And annuities have become poorer value in the sense that it takes a lot longer for you to get a return on your capital invested in an annuity. The well, payback period. Well, well, that's right. I mean, I've recently um, written a paper uh, with Prudential and MGM looking at this issue in, in more detail. And if we go back, um, you know, sort of five years, um, probably somebody had had their money back, say, you know, after 14 or 15 years. Now someone has to live, you know, 17 or 18 years just to get their capital back. So for a lot of people, you know, an annuity just represents the return of their original capital with an underlying interest rate of maybe just 2%. So if these 
products are looking less good value. What options are there available for someone who doesn't want to buy an annuity? Ah, if somebody doesn't want to buy an annuity, the the other option is pension drawdown. And pension drawdown is simple. You invest your money and you draw an income. But um, the, the the interesting point uh, about this paper that I've written, it's it's, it's arguing that there is a middle road. Um, uh, the There is an annuity that isn't guaranteed. It's invested in the stock market so you can benefit from um, future investment returns or, or lose out if it goes down. Uh, and these investment-linked annuities, um, uh, think of them as a halfway house between a traditional annuity uh, and, uh, and drawdown. But they aren't annuities, are they? They're actually like more like drawdown in the sense that you can keep your funds invested in the stock market but get a secure income. Uh, without getting too technical, an annuity is exchange of capital for income. So an investment-linked annuity is an annuity. Um, the only difference is that rather like drawdown, you can invest in the stock market and therefore benefit from um, any future investment growth. And what, are, what other options might there be for people who want an alternative to an annuity? Um, there's the so-called fixed-term annuity. Um, you um, can in- invest your money and have a guaranteed income for maybe a five or a ten year period. And then at the end of the period, there is a, a capital sum that's guaranteed. Uh, and typically that may be um, you know, 75 or 80 percent of the original capital, and that can be used to buy another annuity in the future. And it's keeping your options open effectively. It's keeping your options open, and, and especially you know, if your if health deteriorates, or who knows, annuity rates may you know increase uh, in the future. Finally, if you're someone who just wants to stick with a boring, unattractive, conventional or, or annuity option, are there ways to improve your income? Oh, that's right. Um, you know, everyone's saying, you know, shop around for the best annuity. And it's not only the fact you can get a better annuity by going to a different provider. Health now um, is increasingly important um, and people can get, you know, more income. How much could you get potentially if you were overweight or you smoked or you had asthma or diabetes or some of these other common conditions? Um, a lot of people talk about getting you know, up to 40%. Um, uh, take that with a pinch of salt. Um, m- m- most people, uh, for example, if they smoke or you know, diabetes is overweight, you know, you can get a 5 or a 10%. You know, if you had a, a more serious cancer, you know, perhaps you know, 30 or 40%. And, and people who are really ill, of course, can get a, a much higher increase. Thank you very much. Uh, 5 or 10%, of course, over a 20 or 30-year retirement really does add up. We've lots more about the annuity decision, including some case studies, in this week's cover feature. Other highlights in this week's money. David Stevenson talks about investing in Nigeria, Africa's most populous country and an exciting frontier market for the adventurous. Merrin Somerset Webb returns to that perennial favourite subject of the British, house prices. And we have Sarah Whitley of Bailey Gifford considering how Japanese companies might react to the changes that Arbonomics are ushering in. Norma Cohen offers advice to stock pickers on how to avoid companies with brewing pension fund problems. In extreme cases, these can sink a company altogether. And finally, our page of Investors Chronicle highlights considers whether you should buy or sell Tesco shares after the company reported its first decline in profits in 20 years. Don't forget you can read us online at any time, www.ft.com forward slash money. You can email us at money at ft.com and follow us on Twitter. The handle is just ftmoney. 
But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Tanya, Joe and our special guests, Billy Burrows and Adrian Ash. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.